All right, well, as I mentioned earlier today, uh, Nathan Massey will be speaking today. Uh, Nathan, Nathan graduated from Northwestern, correct? All right, uh, attended Lawrenceville Church and uh, then spent three years at ABC. Okay. A um, little bit of time in Kokomo, and currently he is local. Um, did you tell me you were teaching a class at Lawrenceville? Yeah, so he's, he's, he's teaching some of the youth over there and uh, some of the adults as well. So with that, I'll leave it to Nathan. Good morning, everybody. I'm very excited to be here today. The, uh, the first time I got to be here was during general conference over the summer. You have a beautiful facility, and I'm excited to share my heart with you today. And yes, I'm old-fashioned. I still write out my notes. I don't type them. <laughs> so today, uh, we're going to look in depth on what it means to believe. The whole ideology of belief, what it, what it really entails. And so the dictionary definition of belief for what it means to believe is to accept something um, as true or to acknowledge that something exists. And so within our world, we have you know seven continents, um, and I think seven and a half billion people. So there's a lot of different beliefs out there. There's a lot of different belief systems. And so, you know, if you think about belief, it's kind of a strange concept because it's something that's literally all in your head. And so what are some things people believe in? Well, maybe some people think that they have a superior sports team. And if you like the Ohio State Buckeyes, you're right. <laughs> people might believe in Bigfoot, Okay. People might believe in the Loch Ness Monster. You know, people still, <laughs> there's some people out there that still believe Elvis is still alive. And uh, let's pray for those people. You know, there's, there's, uh, <laughs> there's people that believe in aliens and outer space and stuff like that. There's people that believe in the Big Bang Theory. There's people that believe in evolution. There's a majority of people in our particular group believe in six-day creation. So all these beliefs... There's a lot of different belief systems out there, and this is just naming a couple that we probably come in contact on a weekly basis. And then last but not least, we have Jesus. Jesus is the person we believe that grants us eternal life. And so the interesting thing about all these different belief systems is that it's all in our head. You know, in two breaths you could say, I believe and evolution, I believe in the Big Bang, I believe in aliens, I believe in Bigfoot, I believe Elvis is still alive. And they all have like kind of the same thing because it's all something that's inside your head. So on the same platform, you have Jesus Christ, Elvis still being alive, and aliens. It's kind of strange, isn't it? So the reason that we're going to talk about belief today is because I believe the biblical definition of belief isn't something in your head, but it's something that you do. Belief isn't something that's just in your head, in your mind, but it's something that you do. So, you know, this is what the world says about belief. It's just something that you accept as true, whether it's willy-nilly or you're passionate about it. So the best place to start when we're talking about biblical belief today is John 3.16. It's the, probably the most common and, and famous verse in the New Testament. So go ahead and turn with me to John 3.16 this morning, and we're going to look in the Bible about what it means to actually believe that it's not just something that's in our head, but our belief, our, the core of who we are, is what we're actually doing. So 
So flip with me to John 3.16 this morning, please. To give a little bit of context about what's happening in John chapter 3 is that a, a Pharisee named Nicodemus visits Jesus. And it's kind of funny because he visits him at night. And so an old Bible college joke, because we're lame and bored, is that you know Jesus likes Nick at night. It's pretty lame, but... So Nick at night, Jesus visits with Nick at night. And so, of uh, course, he gets that ridiculous nickname. So Nicodemus starts asking questions, and Jesus gives him answers that Nicodemus can't comprehend. For example, Nicodemus is pretty old, and Jesus is like, to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, well, I'm, I'm pretty old. How can I be born again? And what he's really saying is he's not saying that I'm old. He's saying, my mother's old. How can I really go through with this? And so he's saying, you know, how can somebody in my age and the age of my mother possibly be born again? And so he's, he's asking these questions, and, and Jesus is giving him answers that he just simply doesn't understand. And then eventually, we get to verse 14, what says this, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And so if you remember all the way back in Exodus, where a large group of the Israelite people were bitten by a snake, Moses held up a staff with a snake on it, and when people gazed upon it, it healed them. Something cool about that symbol is if you ever notice on an ambulance, you'll see a stick with a snake on it. That's where that comes from, is Moses holding up the serpent to heal the people. And so Jesus says, in a very similar way to what Moses was doing, I have to be lifted up on a cross so I can save the people. And Nicodemus is still like, but I don't understand what you're, what you're getting at here. So in verse 15, it says, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. In verse 16, obviously. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so that word right there is what we're going to talk about today, believe. Now, if you can go to the next slide. Thank you so much. I'm not going to bore you with the Greek lecture, but we are going to talk about it just a little bit. So that word right there is pistevo. And what it means is it means obedience, loyalty, and trust. And so, you know, in the Greek mind, in, in the mind of the first century, to believe in something is to put your whole heart into it. It's to completely be obedient and subservient to it and to give your whole life to it. That's what it meant in the first century to believe. But we don't really have a word that means all these things. So we translate it to believe in um, our Bibles. And so this word, believe, when he says you know, so God so loved the world that he gave his only forgotten son that whoever believes, what it should read as is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever trusts in him has loyalty to him and has obedience in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. When we look at this definition, the biblical definition of belief, it completely changes the whole scope of everything that we know to be right. Because if I say, you know, I believe in this or that, it's just within my head. But when I believe in Jesus Christ, it means that I'm going to trust Him. It means I'm going to be loyal to only Him. And it means that I'm going to be obedient to Him. Can I get an amen? So this, this word belief completely changes the whole scope of everything that we know. Because it's not just, He's in my mind. you know. But it's trust, loyalty, and obedience. And the best example we can see of this is atheists. Atheists, it's, it's a common belief that they acknowledge that a historical person named Jesus existed. They don't believe that he was raised from the dead like we do, 
But, you know, they believe that Jesus existed, but they don't believe in him. They don't give him his trust, loyalty, and obedience to him like we ought to. So that's why belief in the Bible is so different. It's this trust, loyalty, and obedience. It completely takes the belief out of our heads and it puts it into action. And that's what our faith should be. It shouldn't be something that we comprehend, just, you know, something we think about. You know, oh, I'm, I'm really thankful for Jesus, but we do something about it because it's changed our lives. Because Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago died and rose again, it has changed all of our lives to the point where we still sit together today and talk about it. It is such a huge change in human history, the most significant thing that's ever happened besides creation, that Jesus Christ died and rose again. And because he did rise again, we need to give him our trust, loyalty, and obedience. And so today, we're going to look at trust, loyalty, obedience in three passages, only three passages, and we're going to see how practical it is to put our belief in action. So our first verse we're going to look at today is John 14, 1. So just a few pages to the right. John chapter 14 and verse 1. So the context with this particular verse is everything behind this. Jesus is talking in cryptic to his followers. And basically he's alluding to his death. He's like, I'm going to be crucified. Okay, something bad is going to happen. And eventually they get it. And then Jesus in 14, the person who's actually going to be crucified and beaten beyond recognition says this, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. And of course, right there, the word is pastevo. You can go ahead and go to the next slide if you'd like. The word right there is pastevo. So it's don't let your heart be troubled, but have loyalty, obedience, and faith in God and have obedience, loyalty, and faith in me also. Jesus, the person who knows he's going to die, he's going to be beaten, he has to bear the sins of the world, is saying don't be troubled because when you have that sense of loyalty and obedience to me and the Father, there's comfort. Jesus, knowing that he was going to die, was comforted by his belief and loyalty to Almighty God. Jesus alluding to his crucifixion, be loyal to me, be loyal to the Father. And there's comfort in that. And even if you have the same fate as me, believe in God, have faith in him, believe also in me. Even if they are driving the nails through your wrists or persecuting you for your faith, be faithful and loyal to God. Be obedient and faithful and loyal to me also. So in John 14, 1, we can see that there's comfort in this sense of belief. Not that it's just something in the realm of our mind, but it's something that we put into action. You know, every single one of the disciples was killed for their faith, but they never lost heart. They were never troubled because they were obedient to the Father to the point of death, just like Christ was. But there's comfort in that because the God who knit you in your mother's womb, who has counted the hairs on your head, and his risen Jesus Christ from the dead will raise you from the dead too. And there's comfort in that hope when we're obedient and loyal and trusting in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? amen? Believe in God and be comforted in that. Believe in Christ and knowing that his promises are true. And there's comfort in that. So this is our, this is our first example of this. And this is loyalty. Because when he says believe in God and believe in me, he's not saying believe in the ideology of government, you know, and, and Rome is your Savior, but believe that I'm your Savior. And that no matter what happens, I will save you. 
So this is the idea of loyalty and the whole idea of belief. Is that he says, believe in God, believe also in me. He doesn't say, believe anything else in this world can save you because it can't. Only Jesus Christ and his blood and his sacrifice can save us. So this is the ideology of belief within loyalty, is only being loyal to God and Jesus. Sense of loyalty. We're going to go to our next passage. The next two are a little bit longer. So bear with me here. Uh, flip to Matthew uh, 28, 19. Matthew 28, 19. At this point in the book of Matthew, Jesus is, uh, he has risen from the dead. So that's really cool. <laughs> you know, he's risen from the dead. He's no longer dead. He's no longer in the grave. But he has risen. And in verse 19, he starts to talk to his disciples. So the very first word in verse 19 in Matthew 28 is Go. And that's not just kind of a go that's like, I'm, I'm going to the store. Go is in like, go, this is a command. I'm telling you to do this. So what he says right here is go. It's an imperative, it's a command. And make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And even so, I am with you always until the end of the age. So this is the gospel message right here. This is what the gospel is all about. It's about going. It's about baptizing. It's about teaching the world. It's about giving that sense of comfort. It's about feeding the poor. It's about being a friend to the friendless. It's about visiting people in prison for their faith. This is the gospel. It's action. It's going. It's doing something. And so this is really cool right here. It says, go and make disciples. And what it means to make a disciple is not standing on a corner and, and just yelling to people, believe. And that's really cool if they believe. But when you make a disciple, it means that you're sticking with that person, just like the 12 disciples stuck with Jesus. It's about you being there for them and walking the, the walk of life with them. It's about sharing faith and good fortune with them and even being with them in the bad times. Making a disciple mean, means you stick with them, you teach them, you love them, you care for them, and you send them and lead them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the first command is go and make disciples of all nations and then we're going to baptize the world. <laughs> we're going to baptize the world. And then after that, it's teaching. And maintaining this level of teaching um, and just teaching everybody the gospel message, the good news of God, all these things is where the obedience plays in this particular verse. So the first one that we had was loyalty, only being loyal to God and Jesus, and now we have obedience. Obeying what Christ has said, going out into the world, baptizing, teaching, sticking with the people that we're with, and discipling. Walking arm in arm towards the kingdom of God, not all by ourselves. You know, it's just like the, it's like the uh, Pharisee who asked Jesus, who's your neighbor? You know, where do you draw that division are we all neighbors in here? Or are we brothers and sisters in Christ? That's what we're getting at here. Are we all going to walk by ourselves towards the kingdom or arm in arm together, discipling one another, loving one another, baptizing one another, teaching one another? 
And having the courage that even in obedience, when bad things can happen to us, in verse 20, Jesus promises us that He'll always be with us until the end of the world. Until the end of this evil age as we know it. Christ will always be with us. And so the second ideology of belief is obedience. That when Christ says go, we go. That when Christ says love, we love. That when Christ says teach, we teach. When Christ says baptize, we baptize. And no matter where He asks us or what He asks of us, that we do it. Because even if we're afraid, He's going to be there with us. That's the promise He gives in verse 20. So only have loyalty to the Father and to the Son and to obey their commands in everything that we do. When they say go, we go. That we continually lead people around us into a deeper relationship with the Father and that we show them the love of Christ as He shows us His love. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 14, verses 22. 33. The last example of, of faith we're going to see today and what it means to believe is the hardest one there is. You know, you think obedience might be hard... It's, it's, it's scary. It's a scary thing. You think that loyalty is, is a tough thing to follow. It certainly is, especially in this world of idols. But the last one that we're going to be looking at today is trust. What it means to trust in Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 14, uh, verses 13 through 21, Jesus feeds the 5,000 men and the women and the children, so probably about 10,000 people. And uh, they're probably on the Lake of Galilee. It doesn't say specifically. It doesn't really matter, but there's a lake there. That's the important part. And so Jesus tells his, his disciples to go across the lake without me. I'll meet you on the other side. And so they start going, and they start paddling. And, you know, this really shows a part of the heart of Jesus because Jesus constantly is going away by himself on the mountainside or, or to the beach or something. He's praying to the Father. He's, he has that sense of alone time with him. But what happens around 3 to 6 a.m., Jesus catches up with him in a pretty nonconventional way. So in verses 22, we're going to read this whole passage and we're going to break it down. Immediately, he made the disciples get in the boat and go to the other side of the river, the lake, rather. And after he sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain to himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Verse 24. But the boat was already a long distance away from the land, and it was being battered by waves, and the wind was very contrary to their course. Okay, so we're kind of painting a picture. Jesus goes and prays by himself. Excellent thing, he has his alone time with God. And then the disciples are on the boat. And the disciples being the disciples are probably freaking out right now because the wind and the waves are blowing them all around. They're like, what's happening? You know, where's Jesus when we need Him? And they're probably terrified. And so in verse 25 it says, In the fourth watch of the night, which is about 3 to 6 a.m., uh, He came to them walking on the sea or on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, 
must be a ghost. You know, I couldn't imagine the embarrassment that Jesus had for his disciples when he was walking on the water. They're like, their first thought was a ghost. You know, you see this guy raise people from the dead. You see him feed 5,000 people. And the first thing he didn't think was, that could be Jesus. You know, I, I, you know, I've seen him feed 10,000 people and raise people from the dead. There's no way he can walk on water. Well, of course there is. So their immediate thought was ghost. Which, you know, if it's about 6 a.m., I could, I could see that. I'd be pretty tired. But, you know, you, know, you don't even think that it's the Son of God. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Have any of you ever done a trust fall before? Where you cross your arms and you close your eyes and your friend says, I'll catch you, and you go backwards? Well, I'm a man of substance. And... Trust falls are particularly difficult for me. And it worries me. There's an honest sense of worry when I fall backwards and a friend that's half my size and half my height says, oh, I'll catch you, it'll be fine. You know, that kind of thing. I can only imagine what they were going through their minds when you know Jesus is standing out in the water and the winds and waves are blowing and their boat's going to fall apart because they weren't very good at making boats 2,000 years ago. And he's just standing there and he says, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And this is where the last piece of belief comes in. And that's trust. Trust can easily be one of the most difficult things in this world. If somebody has wronged you in any way, I don't care if they took $5 out of your wallet or they, you know, they keyed your car, it is hard to regain trust from somebody. It honestly is. If somebody does you wrong once, it is really hard to trust them again. And Jesus has never done His people wrong, but because of our natural disposition of fear as human beings, it makes it difficult for us to trust Him. It really does. I'm not, you know, it, it makes it difficult. When, when He says to you know, one of His disciples, go to Africa, they're like, you know, why? I'm afraid to do that. I'm afraid. What if I get malaria? You know, what if I get sunburnt? I'd have a pretty, I'd get pretty sunburnt. <laughs> you know, what, what if all these bad things happen to me? And that's where trust comes in. Where Jesus Christ leads you, he's not going to leave you. So he says, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. In verse 28, Peter said to him, Lord, if that is you, command me to come onto the water. And Jesus says, Come. I just can't imagine what the heck was going through Peter's mind. You know, is that bravery or stupidity? <laughs> is, that, is that a legitimate sense of trust? Or is, you know, what's he trying to prove here? But Peter gets pretty brave and he steps out of the water. But immediately, the next verse, only a couple breaths away, verse 30, it says, But seeing the wind, he became frightened and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And in verse 31, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand took hold of Peter and said, you have little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. When our belief is weak, Christ is strong. Where the line of our faith is drawn, becomes blurry. Christ is certain. Jesus didn't let Peter sink and wither away. He saved him. Even in the low points in our faith, the low points in our life, the low points of this world, 
we are walking in faith and we trust Christ, He will rescue us. Even when we are facing the impossible, like walking on water, Christ will save us. Or in Daniel chapter 3, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fire, that takes faith to be in the middle of a furnace and saying, God will save us. <coughs> when we are in the low points in our life, Jesus will be there. He will rescue us. When the wind and the waves are too much, Christ will save us. You know, before I went to the Bible college, I had a double major in music. I had music performance and education. I played trombone. I had a scholarship to the college I was going to. I had everything lined up for me whereas I was going to have a pretty comfortable path of being a teacher. You know, I wasn't going to get paid very much, but I was never very interested in that anyway. It's about what you're passionate about. Two months before I go to college to be a music major, God calls me to the Bible college. And I said, why? I was afraid. I was petrified. I went, but I was scared. Because I had worked for four long, hard years to get to the point where I was. To get to do what I actually wanted to do. But God had something else in mind. And it took trust. Because it was a long and hard road. It was a long and hard three years. And, you know, very much for my first semester, my faith often got weak. And I thought, why did God take this away from me? But it wasn't what He took away from me. It's what He... What did he save me from? If I would have went to college somewhere else, what would I have done? What would, I, would I have, be playing trombone, have life-saving gospel message? No, there's no gospel message about the trombone. If there is, that's an you know, interesting religion. But <laughs> God had completely changed my life by giving me a passion for ministry. Calling me to somewhere where I was uncomfortable, but my trust in Him was strong enough or rather, His strength in me made me go. It made me get up and leave. It made me leave everything behind that I had planned for for four years. But I trusted Him. I took a step of obedience. And I was like, Lord, I want to be loyal to You and what You call me to. Trust is so difficult because I thought that I was in a nice, easygoing cruise ship. But in reality, the college I was going to Whatever I could have done, I was a sinking ship. And Christ stretched out His hand and said, I have something better in mind for you. And I believed it. And He pulled me out. And I'm here today to tell you that trust is difficult, but it is worth it. Because when God calls you to do something in this life, He's not going to forget you. And even if He calls you to a point to sharing your faith where you might die or be maimed or whatever it may be, there is a resurrection of the dead. So whatever happens in this world where you might be afraid where Christ is going to abandon you or where God has completely left you, that is just not true. Because no matter what this world can do, God will undo with the resurrection of the righteous. Amen? When we step out in faith and have obedience to God, when we're only loyal to Him and don't have any other gods in our lives, rather it's television, or video games, or Facebook, or whatever it may be, or work. Stepping on toes now. Whatever our gods may be in our lives, we have to get rid of them and we have to be loyal. 
No matter where our fear drives us, we have to be obedient. And no matter when we think we're alone, our God has never abandoned us. If He knows exactly how many hairs you have on your head, He cares to know that. He's going to save you. He's going to rescue you. And if not in this life, in the life that is to come. There is comfort in belief. There is comfort in belief. One of the highest attendance in church on any given Sunday in the last two decades was the Sunday that followed 9-11. That was the highest attendance church has been in America since Billy Graham started getting people to go back in the 1950s. There is comfort in belief. It, makes, it just makes me think again of that story in Daniel 3 with Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego that they had such faith and trust and loyalty in God that they wouldn't bow down and worship the idol. That they would rather be thrown in the furnace and be burnt up than to betray God. And God rescued them. That even when the deep waters start rising, Christ will be there to rescue us. What it takes to believe And Jesus is to be His hands and feet in this world. To be His mouth. To share His passion with people. And for Him, for us to allow Him to challenge our faith to the point where it doesn't have any borders and that no matter where God calls you in this life, your faith will be deep enough, your trust will be deep enough, your loyalty will be deep enough that you will accomplish anything He asks of you. No matter where we go, there has to be action in our faith. And then when there's action in our faith, we have a Savior that can save us. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my heart. I thank you for your love, your graciousness, Lord, your patience, your kindness, your forgiveness, your understanding, your generosity. You are such a gracious wonderful God. I thank you so much for giving us a place to come and worship you, Lord. And I thank you for the scriptures. Lord, I just thank you for each person in here this day. And I ask you to just bless us for the weeks to come and that we continually are loyal to only you and your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.